0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more.
2: This is MPB News.
0: Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, February 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show. Now here we are making a law
3: to remove people from the road. This doesn't make any sense.
0: Tensions rise on the Senate floor as the chamber passes a voter purge bill. Then we examine the role community health centers are playing in bringing vaccines to the states underserved. Plus, in our book club, Being Black in Mississippi, in I Don't Like the Blues, Race, Place, and the Backbeat of Black Life. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians who vote occasionally might find their names removed from the rolls. According to Senate Bill 2588, Mississippians who don't vote within a two-year period will receive a notification in the mail to confirm or update their information. If they fail to do so and don't vote in four more years, their names will be removed from the rolls. Republican Senator Jeff Tate of Meridian authored the bill. Here he is responding to questions on the floor from Senate Minority Leader Derek Simmons.
4: Could you tell me, Take it again, what is the rationale for purging a vote, voter off the rolls?
5: Uh, the rationale is to clean our voter rolls to make sure that we maintain good voter rolls. Uh, you know, a lot of legislation is out there that dictates how much counties have to spend on elections based on their active voter roll. And so with inflated books, uh, we're going to have you know more costs that go down to the counties. And what this will simply do is just make sure that we have good manageable rolls.
4: Well, I guess my concern or my question is, isn't it a fundamental right to vote? Don't we have a a right to vote?
5: Uh, uh, We we do as long as uh, we abide by certain rules. You know, I believe there's a few disenfranchising crimes out there that strip that away. But uh, for the most part, you're 18, you live and you vote, you know, in the jurisdiction that you're registered in.
4: And and, and like we have a, a right to vote. Don't we as voters also have a right not to vote? You're absolutely right. And so I I guess I guess my concern or my question is, if as a voter, I wanted to vote in the 2020 presidential election, but then this year, with all of the municipalities or the city elections, and I decided not to vote. Isn't, it that, isn't that not my constitutional fundamental right to make both of those decisions?
5: Absolutely, and this bill will not hinder you from doing that. This bill will purge people off the of voter rolls. We, we have a lot of things in place that purge people off the of voter rolls, but this this will not affect somebody that chooses to vote this year, chooses not to vote the next year, or whatever election year you, you may want to talk about. But, but, but isn't the rationale
4: of purging people off voter rolls in the measure that's before us based upon whether or not a voter has voted.
5: No, sir. This, this does not purge you for not voting in absolutely no way. And that's against NBRA. Uh, we would no, sir, this, this bill does not do that What this bill does is it allows a trigger for counties to be able to contact those that go a certain period of, of not voting. And the only way that you get purged is if you actually do not respond or you do not update your registration. The fact that there is no purge for not voting. There is a plus for voting because that proves that that individual is still there. But this in no way purges the role off of strictly not voting.
4: So that process that's in the deal, notification, and failure to respond to a call will in fact put in place the possibility of you being purged.
5: That's correct. We have that right now in place. Uh, so right now, the main trigger that counties have, uh, when a voter does not contact the county to let them know that they've moved, is return jury summons. You know, we send out a lot, of, a lot of jury summons, and when we get a return jury summons, that's by law a trigger that we can send you the same confirmation notice, and the process that I just described is, is in place.
0: During the presentation of the bill, Republican Jeremy England sought clarification on purged voters' ability to cast an affidavit ballot.
4: If someone finds when they get to uh, the polling place, in the precinct, and they're going to vote, and they find their name is not on the voter rolls, they would still be allowed to vote affidavit. Is that correct? Yes, sir.
5: That is correct.
4: Okay. And if that person can then prove that they do in fact reside in the proper area, uh, and that they are properly voting, their vote will be counted? Absolutely.
5: Okay, so this isn't going to prevent anybody that should be able to vote from voting? Correct.
0: Chairman Tate also said the option is only for those whose names are purged due to a mistake by the county election officials. The bill received heavy scrutiny from Democratic members of the Senate on the heels of a national election fueled by unsubstantiated claims of widespread voter fraud. Senator David Jordan questioned why such a bill was being presented without any evidence.
3: I just want to make it clear that voting is precious to All of us, certainly, especially to people of color. And to bring something before, we've been deprived hundreds of years trying to vote. And here we are now at a point where, on a national level, a lot's going on now concerning this. And we're coming with a law. We're coming with a law. With no statistics, no uh, voter fraud. We're just making something. The chairman couldn't even produce any statistics of voter fraud. They don't have the numbers. Now, here we are making a law to remove people from the road. This doesn't make any sense.
0: Other members, like Senator Bryan, rose to remind lawmakers that many Mississippians, including himself, do not receive mail at their home address. He also revealed that he was mistakenly removed from the rolls in the last election. Bryan passionately spoke against what he believes will be widespread disenfranchisement caused by the passage of the bill.
3: There are many people who vote only in presidential election years. Look at the statistics. Millions of people across the country who only show up to vote in presidential election years. They get to do that. It's okay. Under this bill, if one of those voters, and they exist in the state of Mississippi, tens of thousands, one of those voters who only votes in presidential election years simply skips presidential election year one time. Didn't like the candidates, just didn't get there, didn't feel good that day, sick, out of town, whatever. That individual then shows up in the next presidential election to vote, and that individual will not be able to cast a vote that will count. It's all well and good to say the individual can cast an affidavit ballot. I can go down here somewhere in Hines County and cast an affidavit ballot, but it won't be counted. And, and the rather glib response to many questions about this is, oh, you can cast an affidavit ballot. The whole purpose of this is to remove you from the rolls and take away from you your right to vote, to make it illegal for you to vote, to keep you from being able to vote. That is the heart and soul of this piece of legislation. For tens of thousands of people in Mississippi, eligible voters who haven't done a thing in the world except choose not to vote in uh, uh, every single election and didn't get a postcard or letter or whatever the thing is, they are going to be denied their right to vote by the tens of thousands, and you know it. You know for certain that will happen. I said, an election commission, committee. And here discussion about hurdle after hurdle, obstacle after obstacle that we must place in the way of voters and a member of the committee says, but just one vote is precious under the theory that if there is an improper vote cast, that's canceled out the vote of a legitimate voter. And on and on about one precious vote, that will be lost if one improper vote is cast. But I'll tell you one thing, the same individual that was so upset in committee about that one vote is going to vote for this bill to take tens of thousands of voters off the roofs and not that an eyelash.
0: The bill passed the Senate 36 to 16, mainly along party lines. Coming up, we examine the role community health centers are playing in bringing vaccines to the states underserved. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: I'm Allison Walker, the Lady Auto Mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.
0: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today. At MPBOnline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. African-Americans in Mississippi have only received 19 percent of the state's vaccine supply, yet make up nearly 40 percent of the state's population. To combat this disparity, the Mississippi Department of Health is pushing some of the state's coronavirus vaccine doses to partners in underserved communities. Janice Sherman is CEO of the Community Health Center Association of Mississippi, an organization with 21 facilities across the state, caring for more than 300,000 patients. She tells our Kobe Vance Health Centers are continuing to search for new ways to underserved communities.
2: They are really an essential provider in terms of administering the vaccine. And so we've been collaborating pretty extensively with Dr. Dobbs and the Mississippi State Department of Health leadership. We have a a weekly vaccine champions call where both entities have both providers and staff on the phone to really talk through the rollout and you know, supply and uh, backfilling and all those things that really keep the process fluid. So uh, very much on the front lines of of vaccinating folks, and just grateful for the the collaboration with the Department of Health in doing so.
6: And a lot has changed over the past few weeks. Uh, Vaccines are becoming a bit more available than they used to be. Um, Have community health centers been able to get more supplies in the recent weeks?
2: They have, yes. And so, you know, we've had to work through some kinks of, you know, making sure that they were properly enrolled. And sometimes that gets lost when it, you know, passes through several channels. But beyond that, you know, they've been able to get supply and, you know, and and there's variability across the clinics, of course. Uh, Some have gotten, you know, more than others. And, you know, there's no real you know, way to determine, you know, how to really predict that. And that's what would be ideal. Uh, But the state has not been able to predict that because they're moving in a lot of directions. Demand far outweighs supply, I think, in every area. And so there are some that are still waiting to receive the vaccine and others that are waiting to receive more.
6: Could you talk about the role of... uh, of uh, health health centers in, in their areas like and what they're doing to vaccinate their local communities
2: yeah some are actually using um, community centers to invite the public in for you know receiving vaccines uh part of the the scope of work for community health centers includes immunization clinics throughout the community and so some have actually moved out into some other spaces to make sure that there is broader access beyond just their patient base. Um, others are using mobile sites to go into the community, particularly those that are hard to reach, and so um, that's happening at some sites. And of course, the the traditional role of making sure that you know where their supply they can actually take those patients off of the appointment rolls because there is a backlog on the appointment rolls because demand has exceeded supply. So just doing a number of things to really support the community.
6: And as a uh, member, of the, as a, a place that's built into a community, do those facilities have a better chance to reach people that are? might be a bit on the fence or that might be on the fence about if they trust the, the vaccines or not?
2: You know, vaccine hesitancy is a real thing. And, um, you know, there's the reality of needing to empathize with certain communities that have been impacted negatively historically when it comes to vaccines. But community health center providers have really demonstrated um, relationships amongst a lot of communities, mostly where their patients live and work, to to ensure that level of trust is there with the providers, with the folks, most folks in smaller communities especially, are uh, trusted sites for the community. And so... A lot of that goes a long way in terms of reducing some of the hesitancy. Um, You know, I'm sure it still exists. We continue to look at the numbers along with Dr. Dobbs in terms of, you know, where people of color are moving up that scale in terms of vaccinations. And and it still looks pretty low, Um, you know, and so we're still working across, you know, the spectrum to see if there's anything additional that we can do to reach those folks. We do know that some of the online appointment systems that have been set up around the state are challenging for a lot of our folks. Um, I mean, there's no Internet, you know, and even where there are cell phones, there's limited data in order to go online. And then there's an age barrier for some, you know, that are not institutionalized. If they're in their homes and over 75, then it's a little bit more challenging to go online and make an appointment.
6: And now Mississippi could be seeing more vaccines in the coming weeks. How would community health centers be prepared to use those? And you know, are there any other resources that community health centers need to continue vaccinating people in their communities?
2: You know, I think the, the supply that's coming into states will be coordinated with uh, the same state structure in terms of collaborating with uh, public health. And, and that's good. I mean, we're poised for that. They certainly can use those. There is a wait list. Um, you know, as well at just about every community health center. I've heard it from at least a dozen. So when the supply comes, I mean, we'll certainly be, you know, excited about that rollout and, you know, looking forward to see what the numbers look like, because, you know, we don't have any way to predict that at this time.
6: And so if Mississippians live too far away from a uh, drive through site to get vaccinated, or they're just not sure where to go, what would you tell them to in terms of Contacting their uh, community health center to get started in that process?
2: Well, if they have, you know, internet access or someone in the family has internet access, they definitely can go online to chcams.org and look for community health center by putting in their zip code. And then some have links to sites directly. Others have information for them to call, but that's certainly one way to do it. And then the public health website also Uh, The Mississippi State Department of Health website also has a listing of community health centers as well as the other sites on their webpage.
0: Janice Sherman, CEO of the Community Health Center Association of Mississippi with our Kobe Vance. Coming up in our book club, Being Black in Mississippi in I Don't Like the Blues, Race, Place and the Backbeat of Black Life. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. When B. Brian Foster came back to his home state of Mississippi, he went on a five-year journey to discover black culture. The University of Mississippi Assistant Professor of Sociology and Southern Studies focused on the Clarksdale area. He talked with African Americans from all walks of life about their past and present and how they felt about blues music. The result, I don't like the blues, race, place, and the backbeat of black life.
1: I was doing different types of interviews, so some were more focused on, on just everyday life in Clarksdale, but absolutely, lots of, lots of oral history interviews. The book starts with a conversation with the woman who I call Miss Irene. She was 71 at the time in 2014, and we talked about sort of the full arc of her life. So oral history interviews and other types of, of interviews, and then just informal conversations with literally hundreds of residents of Clarksdale.
0: I have a couple of questions from the title itself. First of all, okay. I don't like the blues. I thought yeah. it was a requirement that all black people in Mississippi love the that, blues. True.
1: Yeah, so A, that is, I think, a, an expectation that I carried with me into Clarksdale. I knew that even before getting to Clarksdale that I couldn't write or I wouldn't be able to do the work without having to account in some way for the blues. In a lot of ways, I had that expectation too. and And that certainly is, kind of public perceptions about race and blackness, black community life, especially in Mississippi uh, and the blues. And again, I'm I'm referencing this conversation with the woman that I call Miss Irene. She is the person who says, I don't like the blues. Uh, And it was in this moment where both looking back on some of those early conversations that I had, where I realized that that sensibility had been there. And then moving forward, I heard it in so many different ways from so many different folks. I'm not a blues person forth and so on. That does, from the outside in kind of public perception, the expectation is that Black folks, they have to love the blues. It is, it is a thing that they created.
0: You came back to Mississippi. You wanted to learn about Black culture in Mississippi. What did you learn? What defines Black culture in this state related to other states?
1: Yeah, I, I'll say a couple of things. So the first is Mississippi, in, in so many ways, is the foundation of Black American culture writ large. You cannot find a music genre, for example, rap, soul, R&B, funk, so forth and so on, that is not tied in some way to blues practice, to the blues sound, to blues music. The same for food cultures and movement, dance, art, literature. All roads lead to Mississippi. Mississippi is Black American culture in its rawest and purest distillation. It's blackness unfiltered. And then the other element, another element that uh, seems to me to be maybe not specific to black culture in Mississippi, but certainly one of the sort of defining features of black culture in Mississippi is the intellectual, the epistemological, the identificational work that is caught up in negative sensibilities, which is one of the fundamental kind of things that I hope the book accomplishes, is that we can learn from what folks don't like and what they are frustrated by and what they are angry with. One thing that I heard time and time again in those conversations with folks in Clarksdale and now as my work moves to other parts of northeast Mississippi in the Hill Country, so Holly Springs, Marshall County area, Lee County, northeast Mississippi, here locally in Oxford, in conversations with folks in Mississippi, especially black folks in Mississippi, you hear frustration, you hear anger, you hear exhaustion. And one thing that I have learned is that instead of turning away from or rushing away from those negative sensibilities, if we lean in, we can learn. If we lean in, we can see and hear of people who can imagine a future that is better than what is and, and that is better than what has been.
0: On the other side of it, in the conversations you had, what stood out among things that are embraced, that are treasured?
1: Yeah, the simple, the mundane the things that, that seem on the surface to be just regular, just every day. I In chapter three of the book, I recreate the scene of a conversation with a woman who I call Cookie Eccles. Cookie is cooking. Her two granddaughters are in the house, and, and they run into the room, and she's initially frustrated because a, I'm a visitor, and, and we're having this important conversation. I'm recording the interview. She's initially frustrated, but then she's like, tell the man, how y'all did on your progress reports. It's those quiet and simple moments that folks cherish and celebrate and take pride in.
0: Are you satisfied that the book culminates everything you were looking for and asking?
1: I appreciate that question. I'm really proud of the book. With each comment that I get, especially from folks in Clarksdale, from folks in the Delta, from Black folks in Mississippi more broadly, with every comment I get, that says, that sounds like us, or that feels like us, or thank you for doing this. The book makes them feel seen, makes them feel recognized and proud of things that, uh, to to kind of wrap back to, to that first question, of things that from, in terms of public perceptions, are oftentimes painted as something to not be proud of, to not embrace. Uh, And so in that way, I could not be more proud and more grateful for what I think the book represents.
0: B. Brian Foster is the author of I Don't Like the Blues, Race, Place, and the Backbeat of Black Life. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.